So I'm not clear if this is completely respectful, but I have such an image in my head of these two disciples of John the Baptist who decide to follow after Jesus. Um, they've been following John the Baptist because he has a lot to teach them, right? And so they're clearly folks who want to learn more about God and how they can be good people. And when John says, this person is the Lamb of God, they decide maybe they should go check him out, right? But I'm guessing they've, tra- they've followed a little bit behind uh, because they've not been formally introduced, maybe. And I just have a, I just can imagine, because I would do this, <laughs> one of them poking the other one and saying, you ask him if he's the Lamb of God. And that one saying, I'm not going to ask him. You ask him if he's the Lamb of God. This was your idea. I'm following you, right? And they probably started out quiet, but as they bickered about who was going to actually introduce them to Jesus, I imagine them getting louder and louder, probably because when I used to sit with my sister in church, we always started out whispering quietly. And then pretty soon my mother's hand would come over on her laps to quiet us down. Until finally I think Jesus stopped and turned and looked at them and said, what are you looking for? And even then, you know, I mean, the answer is, you, but how weird is that, right? So they say, "Uh, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. And they do. They go and see, and the Bible doesn't really tell us exactly what they see or what they hear, except that it's so great that they stay the whole rest of the day. And as soon as they're done, one of them runs and finds his brother and says, we have found the Messiah. This is the one we're looking for. What are you looking for? It's a question with a lot of answers. I figure at any given time in Harvard Square, 25% of the drivers are looking for a parking place, right? If, If they had little thought bubbles over their cars. On any given day in our household on 27 Avon Hill, At some point in the day, I will be looking for my glasses because I often take them off and then I can't remember where I did. At some point in any given day, Mitch will be looking for his hearing aids for the same reason. Now, in our house, at any point in a given day, one of us will be looking for a sock because our beloved dog, Toby, has decided that he likes to carry our socks around. He doesn't chew them up. He just carries them around and then leaves them somewhere. But that is not, I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. When I imagine Jesus looking at me and saying, what are you looking for? I don't think my answer will be a sock. And I can imagine being nervous like those two followers and saying, "Um, where are you staying? And Jesus saying, come and see. And when I go and see where Jesus is, well, he's here. And he's in the guy who sleeps in the bus stop out in front of the church. And I was at a community meeting this week of folks affected by the killing of Syed Faisal. And Jesus was there 
too in that room of pain and anger and questions and struggle. Jesus is in those buildings destroyed in Ukraine and the lives lost. And Jesus is in those homes in Russia that wonder if their soldiers are going to come back. When I come and see where Jesus is, I realize that some of what I'm looking for is, how do you want me to live in this world that has such need? So this is the weekend where in our country we celebrate the legacy and the teaching and the example of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. MLK weekend, we call it for short. Um, It's a weekend that has become, and I think rightly so, a time of service opportunities. So this whole weekend and also tomorrow, there are all kinds of ways around Boston, around Cambridge, around our country for people to go and participate in handing out food at food pantries or work on art murals and, and all of those things that make our life together better. I don't have any problem with any of that. I also worry just a little bit about Dr. King's legacy being watered down to just a couple days of doing nice things for people who need it, right? Maybe it's because I'm a pastor, but I'm a little touchy about Dr. Martin Luther King's legacy being stripped of its religious basis. He was actually the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., right? It's a mouthful, and it gets left out a lot. It was his religious faith, it was his deep grounding in the church that inspired his cause for justice. It wasn't just being impatient with segregation. It was knowing that God calls us to something better, that God calls us to be what King called the beloved community, where we not only tolerate each other, we celebrate each other in all of our similarities, in all of our differences, and strive to live together in love in a way that makes all of us the best that we can be. That was what King was striving for, and all of the civil rights movement. So yes, he was working against segregation. Yes, he was working on voting rights. Both of those things have made some progress in the last almost 50 years and need a long way to go, right? Almost 40 years. Um, And the longer King worked on those things, the more he realized that the issue of race is not the only issue in our society that tears at the possibility of our being the beloved community he came to realize more and more that our economic system with its enormous pockets of poverty also breaks down the beloved community. And that the work of war, and in his, in his example, particularly the Vietnam War, tore at the beloved community. And so as his ministry and his witness grew, it shifted until he... He incorporated all of those pieces so that his dream was not just that people not be judged according to the color of their skin. His dream also was that all would have what they need to live and live well and live together in peace. We forget sometimes 
that he was considered a dangerous man, not just by the segregationists of the South, but also by the folks who wouldn't have called themselves segregationists, but who fought him just as fiercely in the North in places like Chicago, where I'm from. Also by our own government, who was worried about what it was that he was trying to do to American society in his changing it to become the beloved community. We need to remember that. And as we do remember that through it all, he preached and taught nonviolence, not because it was politically expedient, though it has its uses, but because nonviolence, that nonviolent practice, is hard and essential if we're going to stay who we are as beloved people of God in the midst of standing up against the powers of our day. Another thing that I think sometimes gets lost on MLK Weekend is that um, King was not a solo actor. Uh, Vincent Harding says, the civil rights movement was about changing society, and it was also about changing ourselves. Those of us involved in that movement worked as hard on ourselves and how we related to each other as we did working to transform the society. I was fortunate to be at the um, unveiling of the Embrace in Boston Common on Friday. I was not fortunate enough to have a ticket to actually be able to see the statue. <laughs> I was one of the people on the outside. I had to go up toward the parks, uh, Park Street Station, which is kind of up on a hill, and then I could see the statue behind the fence. But the, the fences are gone now. Um, it's magnificent. I cannot tell you how magnificent it is. Even from far away and up, up on the hill, it's magnificent. Um, and some of what made it so wonderful to me is that it's Dr. King and Coretta Scott's King's arms around each other. It's a tribute to their union in helping to make our world a better place. And the plaza in which it is located has the names of 65 local civil rights heroes from the Boston area inscribed and surrounding the kings. That plaza is witness to the fact that it is all of us together who make the world a better place, who help to make the beloved community real. I hope that I am always reminded of that when I see it. And so I find that when Jesus says to me, what are you looking for? My answers fall in sort of two areas, similarly to the way the civil rights worked on the larger society and also the inner life and inner love of its participants. Um, one of the jokes in our house is when our kids ask me what I want for Christmas, I usually say world peace. And they say, yeah, yeah, and then they give me a skillet. Right? It's a great skillet. Glad to have it. I'm not sure it will contribute to world peace, but it will make us happy in our house, which will help. Um, so when Jesus says to me, what are you looking for? Part of my answer is, I'm looking for a world that's like that beloved community where folk have what they need, where we learn how to live together, where we have the strength to not just tolerate. Instead, we celebrate each other. 
which means I'm also looking for some things about myself. I'm looking for my resilience to be strengthened. I'm looking for my spirituality to be deepened. I'm looking for my openness to folks who are different from me or challenging to me. I'm looking for that to be expanded. I'm looking to know who I am at all times through all this and whose I am, that I'm Jesus's. It's a complex, it's a complex piece. And when I get lost... And Jesus says, and I say to Jesus, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. That helps to reorient me a little. So this morning I have um, a project for you all. Those of you here and those of you at home as well. Um, On the insert in your bulletin, on one side are the words to the hymn we're going to sing in just a few minutes. On the back, it's mostly blank, and it says, uh, what are you looking for? It also says, what is your soul hungry for? Because when I think of what am I looking for, my first answer is not usually my deepest answer, right? My friend Steve Garnis Holmes says, what are you looking for? Okay, what are you looking for more than that? Okay, what are you looking for more than that? Now we're getting down to what your soul is hungry for. And so we're going to take about, I don't know, three minutes here, and I'm going to give you time to reflect on that question of what is your soul hungry for? If Jesus were to look at you and say, what are you looking for? What would your answer be? And I invite you to write that because it always makes it more real to write it out. And if you're willing, if you're brave, I invite you to leave your answer in the um, plate toward the back of the sanctuary for this reason. Um, Because as we are church together, part of our charge as church is to work to address each other's spiritual hungers. And part of our job as the church is to work to address the spiritual hunger of the world. And so if you are willing to share that with me, that will become part of what we do here at this church. There's a place for you to put your name. And the reason that's there is that um, I would love an opportunity, should it come up, to be able to talk with you about this. Whether you put that there or not is up to you. Those of you who are at home, you can put something in the chat on YouTube if you like. You can also email me your answer. Um, It's pastor.barb at harvardepworthchurch.org. Please know that these will be kept confidential in the sense of who says what, right? Um, and it will, it will be part of what helps us together to be the beloved community. So now I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> um, Terry is going to play for us a little bit. I'm going to give you some moments to think.